You're listening to the Pullbox Podcast, the international graphic novel book club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Welcome back to another episode of Pullbox Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Finley. And I am your other host, Michael Cohen. And we have three graphic novels to discuss with you today. The, uh, the first will be Pyongyang, A Journey in North Korea by Guy Delisle. And then we'll discuss Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Avengers. That's volume one of the newest series uh, by Brian Michael Bendis and Steve McNiven and a few others. And our reader poll this, this month, as suggested by Doug Ferguson, is Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant by Tony Cliff. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but before we start, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to let you all know that um, I finished reading all of Ex Machina, which uh, okay. which we talked about in, what was that, episode two, I think? Yeah, uh, two or three, I think. Yeah, and so just a little update on that. It took me the, however many months to, to go through all ten of those volumes, and mm-hmm. it, was, they, it was great and solid all the way through. Mm. And you said you haven't finished the last I volume haven't. So. I got to... I got to the volume, uh, minor spoilers, there's like a female version of The Great Machine. Right. At one point, I got to I got to that volume, okay. and that's where I... That, that was your hang right yeah, there. Yeah, it, it, it's not for lack of like, uh, I, like, I don't think that the story got bad or anything like that. I just, I just haven't felt the need to finish that, right? So uh, I, I've got just too many other things to read that, uh, that it just wasn't pressing i guess i don't know like i said i i've never uh i don't think i've ever finished uh a, a brian k vaughn ongoing series i right. still haven't read the last volume of why the last man and i have the hardcover like <laughs> yeah. the the deluxe collector's edition sitting on my bookshelf as like a point of pride because i'm such a fan right but i just uh, i've heard i've always heard that like his his endings tend to to really let people down right so well, i mean uh, the other stuff yeah. that i've read of his were either one-offs like uh like the escapist or or uh, pride, of pride of baghdad or their ongoing series that he started and then left like the runaways right right so and um, you're up to date on saga that one hasn't ended though yes saga is continuing yeah but i already feel it going a little bit oh yeah well i'd have to say that i i thoroughly enjoyed ex machina all the way to the okay. end the last two volumes um, go in a very weird direction um, <laughs> where you find out yeah. where he got his powers and why he has his powers. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to spoil anything for you because yeah. you haven't read it, but um, it's worth finding out. Okay. Um, and then in the end, um, you get to see kind of where he goes after he serves his term as, as mayor, where he goes after that. Okay. Um, not really. You don't really get to see where he goes, but they kind of allude to what's going to happen next, mm. and uh, and it's good. It's. Cool. I thought that they that he tied everything up really nicely. So and then one of uh, there's one issue in volume nine, mm-hmm. I think where you stopped is volume eight. So there's one issue in volume nine where Brian K. Vaughn and and Tony Harris meet with Mayor 100 and pitch the idea of drawing a comic biography of his life. Okay. So, it's, and it's really funny. So there's just that kind yeah. of little meta 
That's a that's a thing that Brian K. Vaughn does with his comics, where he writes himself into like as they come to. You can tell when it's getting close to the end of the series <laughs> because he, he writes himself into the story. Because <laughs> he's also in the last volume of Why the Last Man. Okay, so. well, I'd like to see how he portrays himself in that one too. Yeah, um, yeah. it'll it'll get pulled eventually. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Sooner or later, we'll get into that. Series. Cool. Okay, well, let's dive into our picks. The cool. first up is the um, kind of the travel journal of uh, Guy Delisle or Guy Delisle actually I always don't remember how to pronounce his name because he's French Canadian yeah um, so he you know French pronunciation is a little different than how we would expect it so Guy Delisle and this one is published by Drawn and Quarterly um, who is also a Canadian a French Canadian mm-hmm. publisher do they do actually they're a Canadian publisher they do a lot of English graphic novels but they do a lot of translating some of the French stuff and so they do they've translated a lot of his books and so this is his first graphic novel in English and it's about his journey he's an animator and he got sent to North Korea to oversee some of uh, to oversee an animation studio that um, they just do service work and like stuff gets farmed out to them so he went over there to oversee the job and while he was there he had a kind of a daily diary of uh, what he saw and observed in North Korea. And uh, if you've been living under a rock, um, North Korea walled themselves off from the rest of the world and lives in this communist utopia. (laughs) and um, Self-proclaimed utopia. Yeah, self-proclaimed utopia. And it's just kind of... No one really knows what goes on inside there. So this book is a really neat look inside the walls of North Korea at the Mm -hmm. way the propaganda works. And um, I have to say that it is biased because he plays up the humor and how ridiculous it is a lot of time. Um, So there's there's definitely his influence in there, Mm -hmm. which may not be entirely inaccurate, but. uh, yeah, so I picked this one. I'd read it before, but I thought I, I thought you should read it, so that's why I picked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I loved it. It was uh, the, the, we read a lot of comic books, obviously. Uh, that's why we do this podcast. But most of the time, what what we're reading in a comic book is escapism, and it's it's uh, although you're trying to attain that that level of like being taken to another place. I, a lot of the time it falls short because either the story is a little bit flat or the world's not that well thought out or whatever the reasons might be. Right. Uh, but with this, I think <laughs> partly because it is it is so real, it's based off of reality. Um, and like you say, like it's it is his perspective, so it's going to be a little bit skewed. But it just even though the the style is very cartoony it's very uh, uh, abstract and sort of uh, impressionist and that sort of thing with the way that the characters look and all that um it it's still i feel like i went with him right yeah. like you oh, yeah. feel like you were there uh, and i think that the daily aspect of it the fact that it is like a daily diary and you really um you really feel like you were there for him for every major event of his trip to North Korea and even the minor events <laughs> yeah 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 even some of the minor ones but um i think that that helps you step into his shoes and really understand 
what it was like for him to be there. So whether or not it's an accurate portrayal of of what it's actually like in North Korea, whether or not his spin is on there, what you do get from it 100% is his experience yeah. of having been there. And uh, and and I, I don't know, I find I find the whole thing with North Korea to be really fascinating. Um, as well as I mean like China is a fascinating country as well because from our perspectives as Canadians uh, as particularly Canadians in Vancouver with all of the freedoms and liberties that we have in a very tolerant very open very diverse city when you see just how uh, closed off these other cultures can be not not in all instances but but I mean in in North Korea's instance very purposefully and as a country they're they're closed off like you said they put up a wall um it's just it's fascinating when we get to look inside and and actually see what that world is like because you know we're going to talk about guardians of the galaxy and as much as it's about these heroes flying around the galaxy in space at no point do you ever really feel like you've left America, right? right. Like North America. <laughs> yeah. It just all feels the same. But in this book, it's like you feel like you're on another planet because it's so different yeah. from it's our day-to-day It's an alternate lives. world of yeah. Earth. Yeah. it's. But, you know, and I was thinking as I was reading through this, it is so bizarre, but part of me is like, you know, this, it actually works for them. Mm-hmm. It It's so strange. We'd never be able to stomach that if that that were the case if, if if that way of life was brought here yeah but for them it's normal and um and, and it seems to work everybody does what they need to do and maybe some people don't like it but it seems like it just life goes on for them. yeah i mean i think i think fear is a big motivator right because if yeah. you step out of line people just disappear they disappear that's right? true actually so. yeah you yeah they allude to the weird um um, what do they call them? This the encampments that that no yeah, one really like, talks about. Yeah, like re- well, the the thing is the reeducation it's, it's reeducation yeah. camps. But then there's also just like there's they still essentially have POW camps that right. have been there since the Korean War and for, like white people basically that are in that country that step out of line or are not supposed yeah. to be there that have somehow gotten in there right or that that uh, the government decides. Are are there for the wrong reasons? They right. end up in these random places and they're well, never heard and from again. Same with um, disabled people, yeah. elderly people, yeah. um, anyone who's kind of unhealthy. They all yeah. kind of just disappear. Yeah. And uh, and Guy mentions that he never sees any of those people yeah. when he's here, and that's actually that is quite frightening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, I. I mean, at some point, I'm sure we'll jump into a comic that deals with World War Two. And to end the Nazis and, you know, their way of dealing with uh, uh, disabled people or people who are other, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Other than, than their ideal. Um, and and I think when we do that, that there's that trick of, of looking at something historically. And when we're looking at something historically, we, we put our, our thinky caps on and we look at it intellectually and we go, oh, that's disgusting. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, that's the worst. But because North Korea is happening now today, it's like, well, can you do anything about it? Can you do anything about what's going on in that country? No, no. like we have absolutely no no power 
in that situation. I mean, like the world leaders have no power to to stop sort of like the the humanitarian injustices that that yeah. happen in in countries like that that purported to i guess would be the politically correct way of saying it because we don't have any actual proof but <laughs> but like we have to I, I don't know it's difficult to 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 think about it and go there now because like we're sitting here on a on a beautiful saturday afternoon talking about comic books and there are people half a world away that don't even know what a podcast is because they've never seen an iPhone, right? Yeah, so yeah. It, and who are forced to cut grass with a little a little blade on their hands and knees? Yeah, as yeah. volunteer work. It's a it's 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 a difficult mental exercise to to sort of divorce yourself from it or to or to do the opposite and really invest yourself in it because either way you're kind of. I don't know. You, you're kind of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, sort of thing, right? So, when you read a book like this, I I think it's important. It's obviously an important piece of work because it's gonna force us into a mode where we have to think about it. Yeah. But in a way that a is entertaining, which means that it's gonna sink in because yep. if it's dry, people don't care. Nope, not at all. Um, and and because it's that cartoony element, there's a there's a uh, sort of a removal from it at the same time as you're you're engrossed in it that allows you to to look at it without getting a, you know too worked up about it too too upset yeah. about about the sort of things that he's talking about yeah and i recently read footnotes in gaza which is by joe sacco and he's a hmm. comic journalist and it's all about yeah the, the situation in gaza um and his style is very realistic. He puts mm-hmm. a lot of detail, a lot of realism into there, and it was such a different experience reading that type of book, uh, where whereas reading this one, um, because this one, like you said, is much more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Even though he's dealing, you're dealing with some serious issues and such. It's um, it comes at it from such a different perspective yeah. than his. He's down in the trenches. Of course, it's all in a war over there, so it's yeah, it's going to be a different story. Yeah. Um, but this one. Uh, and you mentioned the cartooniness and um, the way that Guy draws himself, mm-hmm. which is basically just a square head with a dot for an eye and a little triangle nose. Yeah. Um, Hence, they said the impressionistic sort yeah, of element. Yeah, exactly. It, right? And it's uh, yeah, and you see him from profile, and it's kind of yeah, it's a, uh, it's not. It's very French. It's yeah, he looks it's French exactly. But at the same time, because there's so little detail, yeah. you can put yourself into his into his place oh, right there. Um, you're not thinking, oh, that's him in North Korea. It's like, oh no, I'm yeah, like you said, I'm I'm there. This is actually happening to me right now, mm-hmm. uh, which really works to to his benefit in this. Um, the thing that he puts a lot of attention into is his backgrounds and such. Yeah, he, he's really good at drawing his buildings and his the scenery to really convey what things look like, uh, which is an odd contrast with the ultra cartoony characters that walk yeah. around there. Yeah. Um, there, there are some moments where you can tell that that his experience from that day was to see w- whatever it was building a, a monument, a vista, whatever it was, and and his immediate impulse was to capture yeah, that. I got to draw that. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, there are a few pages that are just full page spreads mm-hmm. of of these incredible scenes, right? Yep. Like and and and. It, they it is it is odd 
but it's odd in a really great way because it doesn't pull you out of the story but it does just kind of like highlight these aspects and i always found when i'd get to those pages you know like because i zipped through it i I went through this book really quickly because it just it reads so well and it's it's uh it's just it's so entertaining and it's fascinating so you just want to know what's going to happen next even though there's no real narrative to speak of but i would get to those pages and just study them right like you open it up and you'd be like that's incredible Mm -hmm. and and just look at it and i think that that goes a long way to that element of feeling like you're there and really feeling like like uh you got to experience yeah what he experienced and any any good history book is going should hopefully be illustrated so we can with as much as you can so you can see um you can get that visual representation Mm -hmm. but in north korea they take your cell phone they take your camera away from you when you enter the country you're not allowed to have any of that stuff there but you can't take away pencil and paper yeah so this is that the 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 fact that these drawings are as good as they are is really important yeah because you're not going to get those pictures elsewhere oh absolutely yeah 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 but you know what in in some ways uh some of those images are better than photographs because they don't just convey the objective view of of that object of of the you know statue whatever it is but it does put that subjective spin on it so you're also yeah because because i think like if you just see a picture of a statue in a book you're not necessarily going to feel the grandeur of that that moment right right but but he manages to capture those things in a lot of the images that he conveys and i think that that that's it, it it like I said, it might not be the most uh, objectively correct depiction of North Korea, but it is absolutely accurate. I think in in the sense that you know if you if you can take his perspective into account, you get what he experienced. You get what it was like to be in North Korea in his shoes. Yeah, and one of the the one one of the ones that the big full page spreads that I like is when they're driving. I, the numbers are unpaged, so I can't point out the, the page number here, but they're driving home after, um, yeah, going back a couple pages here. What is he doing? I don't remember, but he's, they're driving home in the dark after going out for drinks or something like that, and then there's the full page is the city that's all dark because you're not allowed to have lights on once the sun goes down, um, except for the one light that's shining on this big monument, um, a big building-sized picture of the, their glorious leader. Yeah. Um, lit up. So that's the only thing that you can see in the dark. And um, and that's one of the things you're saying. This is the objective spin right here. It's like yeah. he, if you take a photograph of that, it's not going to convey the, the same thing as, like, he, he drew it to show how, um, how much... I guess the propaganda is in here that they shut off all the lights except for the ones that yeah. shine on pictures of, of Kim. So yeah, yeah, it's it was incredible. I I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I don't know, it's it, it, not a lot of the stuff that we read is particularly educational in a worldview sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they might be educational in the sense of of comics history or something like that, but um, every once in a while you get to read a book that that really like sort of opens your eyes to something and shows you uh, uh, part of the real world that you yeah. didn't really know existed or didn't fully understand. 
So I, so I, it's it's a really great book. I think it's an important book. I think that this oh, yeah. is the sort of thing that should be required reading in in schools. Like, yeah, it, it's I just as it important as some places. I mean, you know what? If 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 you're gonna make kids read 1984, as soon as they're done reading 1984, get them to read this because yeah. then they get to see that in action. I mean, the book 1984 plays a part in his yeah. story, right? So <clears throat> it's uh, I. The 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 push for for comics in in schools I think is is one of those things that um, not a lot of people really get behind it because not a lot of people understand just how influential comic books can be and they think that it's all Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. right but and it's funny that you mentioned that because this book um, I was sitting outside with my kids in my front yard and they were playing and I was reading this book mm-hmm. and my neighbor who lives upstairs um, walked walked in. Uh, into the yard and noticed the title he's like mm-hmm. oh hey that's that's the capital city of North Korea right and I said uh, yeah this is a whole book on this guy's journey to North Korea and he's like is this one of your uh, he called it um, is this one of your illustrated novels <laughs> and because he knows because I read them all the time he yeah. sees me reading them all the time and I said yeah it's one of my graphic novels and he was a little hesitant but I said here you you take it you borrow it mm-hmm. um, and so he sat down and was flipping through it and then my kids wanted to go inside so I went inside and um, I had my window open and I could hear him just kind of chuckling to himself he sat there for the next couple hours and read the whole thing (laughs) he's never read a comic in his life but like you said it's this subject matter um, which is it draws you in because it's important it's Mm -hmm. important in the in the grand global scheme of things Um, and it's so accessible the way he writes and the way he draws Uh, anybody can pick it up and and get a lot out of it uh yeah yeah, and that's such an interesting experience there and i had a co-worker um a few years back that was before i read this one who her brother had given her this book to read Hmm. uh, and she'd never read a comic in her life as well Um, but she read it and and really enjoyed it also and asked me if i'd read it and i said no and it kind of that's what got me interested in it because she who doesn't have any interest or history with comics loved it mm-hmm. like well i should check this one out too <laughs> so this this is one of those books that i think you could pass along to to anybody yeah yeah and they'd get a get a lot out of it yeah and 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 a good a good ambassador to sort of show the world that comic books are more than just right you know, spandex and case yep yep there's a there's a legitimacy to it and yeah. you could call this um historical literature or something i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure there's some term already coined for it but yeah uh, but graphic novel will will work for us yep uh, cool well i uh, let's uh let's oh sorry before we move yeah. on um he's he's uh done a couple follow-up books okay where he's now purposely gone to a couple of clo- other closed-in countries and drawn his experience okay i um, mean those places too uh, somewhere in china i can't remember I think Burma is another one of them, and I think okay. Jerusalem also. And he also has a, a book, and he's got another one coming out about his life with his kids. Okay. So very similar to what I do with my daily comic strip, mm-hmm. where he draws the real life events of what he of his funny things his his kid that I I do with my kids. He also does that yeah. in a in his own unique style, and it, and they're really good. Totally worth checking out. Also. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No. I. That's. That's definitely something that is of interest. I think anybody who's read this will wanna will wanna check that stuff out. Good. Cool. 
Cool. Well, let's uh, let's jump into a little bit more of that standard comic book fare with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. Uh, from my my favorite, least favorite, favorite writer, Brian Michael Bendis. Because this, uh, I mean, if you go back and you listen to to our episode where we talk about powers. That's number episode number one. Is that number one? Yeah, okay. So I, I you know, I, I go back and forth with this guy. Because sometimes he writes some of the best comics. And sometimes he writes some of the worst comics. Uh, In your opinion, opinion, some of the worst. my opinion, yeah. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. Right. I, uh, well, I wasn't too thrilled with powers either. It was, uh, it was just not what we were expecting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, this is this is definitely more of the standard. Uh, I would say modern comics fair. Um, this this isn't really what I would consider classic comic book storytelling, but this is very much uh, Marvel's modern take on on comic books, which I. I mean, I guess we shouldn't shy away from it. It's very cinematic. Yep. I uh, it it definitely okay. So this it's a little bit confusing. This this story was written well in advance of the movie coming out being right. released. Although we're reading it just now, this this graphic novel has been out for quite a while. Uh, the paperback itself has been out for quite a while, and, and it volume was hard two only just came that. out. Volume two just came out. Uh, Marvel Marvel has a very weird way of putting out their their uh, trade paperbacks, and they'll put out a hardcover first, yeah. and then they'll let that hardcover sort of sit for three, four, five, six months, <laughs> and get the sales off of it because obviously a hardcover is much more uh, than than a, a soft cover trade paperback. Um, but it also just, costs more to print. <laughs> it does, but just to give you an idea. Uh, Marvel Marvel charges more for their comic books for their graphic novels than than basically anybody else. Uh, Twenty one ninety nine in Canada for uh, what is I guess probably about six issues. Yeah. Um, DC on the other hand to to be the direct competitor uh, comparison is going to charge you about seventeen ninety nine to nineteen ninety nine Canadian, um, if not less than that in some instances. I mean I've picked up comics for for fifteen dollars brand new from dc um and and when you start getting into other publishers like idw and that sort of thing idw is pretty pretty good about it actually and they'll keep their comics at at a their graphic novels at a pretty standard uh like 17.99 price point i think Um, yeah you're right so i marvel it's big money for them because all of everything that they do is tied into their movies now it's a it's a it's a big point of of order for them especially when it's something that's marvel studios because then they get the sort of double bang for their buck of of completely owning those movie properties and then also owning the comic books which is kind of too bad because yeah then the creators are are a little pigeon held to what they can do yes they uh they don't have complete com- um creative freedom yeah. with their storytelling because they have to kind of go in line with the movies yeah. now and stuff but um I will say so. We're we're just talking about Volume One, but Volume Two just came out this past week, this yep. past Wednesday, as of recording. And I read it before before sitting down because just not as like oh I got to read that so that I can talk about it, but just because I really wanted to read it. Yeah. Um, I loved both of these, like Volume One and Two. I really enjoyed both of them. But are they great comics? 
mm, that's a harder point to make, right? Like they definitely do. Um, they lend themselves to to the movies if you if you've seen the movie. Um, it's they're not tied in. They're not a continuation. They're not a prequel. These are the Marvel comic universe. So it's it's a completely separate universe, a separate continuity. But the characters' voices, with I think the exception of Star Lord, uh, are identical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I mean I I think I think moving forward uh, with comics like like the legendary Star Lord, which started in August, sort of right around the same time that okay. I think even the same week that Guardians of the Galaxy premiered. Um, I think that you'll start to see that Chris Pratt element. Well, I noticed they gave him it, the movie but, mask. Uh, they do, yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. Not in um, these graphic novels, but in oh, the, in the newer in the one, new in Legendary Star Lord. Yeah, yeah, he's he looks like he's, the movie version. Yeah, as as opposed to here in these ones, he's got. In fact, it's a new reimagining of his old costume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, several, but several costumes throughout the two volumes. Not just, oh, really? he's not just in one one piece of gear right like he's got he has different outfits for different scenarios um one of the really cool things is that iron man is also a part of the guardians right in 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 a costume i didn't like yeah no i i hate this iron man armor but um he barely ever wears it so but you know they got to put him in because if this was before the movie yes there's still an unknown property yep so you got to put in a, an a-list character to yep. to help sell the book and uh, and tony is their a of he's their triple a on the list at the moment because uh, i think iron man's moving a lot of merchandise for them <laughs> but i uh, the to talk about just the story in volume one in and of itself um it, it is it's a relaunch of the series i it does carry with it the history of these Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, this team is not the first team. This is actually the second team to, to hold that name. There was a, a team in the 60s uh, that uh, Yondu, who's a character from the movies, uh, yep. was a, a member of along with a bunch of other characters. They were definitely uh, more your standard classic comics superheroes totally from the um, silver age yeah, yeah um they were there wasn't an anti-hero among them they were all just good guys going across the galaxy beating up bad guys like thanos and yep. whoever um but then when they relaunched this series the first time i think in the 80s uh, with peter quill and and uh, and groot drax gamora and rocket raccoon they they put together a team of misfits, right? And that's, I mean, that the, the team is intact. It's still the same team, and they're still misfits. But where we join them in this volume, they're already a team. They've been a team for a long time. They know each other's idiosyncrasies. Uh, they've been through hell and back, as I discovered in the second volume, quite literally, <laughs> with, uh, with Star-Lord and Drax. Um, they were apparently... I don't know because I haven't read these stories, but they were apparently in some undead world, like they're the world, the dead dimension or something like that, with Thanos, and now they're back, and uh, the rest of the team doesn't know why or how, and so it's a little bit of a point of contention in the second book. Uh-huh. Um, but this first book is just to get us started. So we start with with uh, actually uh, uh, Prince Jason of the Spartax. Empire uh, crash landing on Earth, and uh, you know, sort of uh, the origin story of Peter Quill. And uh, I mentioned follows. 
I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago when we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that issue, it's the point one issue. It's not yes. actually number one. It came yeah. out before the issue launched, but that issue seems so familiar, so, uh, so familiar now that I've seen the movie. Yeah. Um, however, quite different. A yeah. lot of different things happen, yeah. but there's so much. Um, there's so much going for it. And the movie, I think, draws a lot from this one issue in its opening. Yeah. opening well, I think. Scenes. I think. To talk about that, like with how how connected the movie and the comic are, although this comic came out before the movie was released, it did come out around the same time that they would have been filming, right? And definitely around like being written around the same time as the screenplay. So yeah, uh, and uh, was Bendis involved at all with the movie? I don't know that Bendis had an influence on the story of the movie. If if I had to guess, I would say it was the other way around. I would yeah. say that uh, most definitely there were meetings. There was a sit down between James Gunn. Uh, I, I can't remember the the name of the other screenwriter at the moment, uh, but with with Bendis, guarantee oh, yeah, it was a female and, screenwriter, yeah, which was actually yeah. pretty important. Um, like I guarantee that there was four of them there. Like it was the two uh, James Gunn, uh, his his screenwriting partner, uh, Bendis and and Quesada. like i guarantee yeah. that they sat down and they went okay movie comic book we got to get these things not necessarily on the same page but in sync with one another right um and as as you move forward in the story you get into volume two more so like yeah. i i the, it's it's even more the voices of the characters from the movies right um yeah, and understandably. you know i it, like full disclosure i guess I, I i was not a guardians of the galaxy fan before i saw the movie oh yeah i'd never read an uh, issue of yes <laughs> i mean i knew of some of the characters i definitely knew uh of star lord i knew of drax i knew of rocket raccoon i well, mean gomorrah has been around for ages I, yeah she was she played a big role and so did drax in the infinity gauntlet yeah. series yeah. i think did they both hold an infinity gem for a while i think drax did Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, but these are all. If you've been kicking around in the Marvel universe for the last, you know, almost thirty years for me, yeah. I, you're gonna pick up these names sooner or later. Yeah. But then when you know you kind of find out, oh, they're all the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's kind of where they're best known from. And and you you now they the are, movie yeah. comes out and everything. I mean, I love the movie. The movie I yeah, think is I is, so. is one of Marvel's best to date. Yep, they did a great um, job. And uh, and so it got me interested in the comic. I picked up the comic, and that's what it's supposed to that's do. That's exactly what they wanted. <laughs> yep. And uh, and you know what? Like now, I'm an unabashed fan of Guardians of the Galaxy because the movie is awesome, and these comic books are also awesome. Yeah. Um, like I said, the storytelling it might be a little bit thin, but um, but the characters are there, and I think with a lot of comics, particularly ongoing comics. Uh, it's cool when you get a really great plot in a comic, but when you have characters that are written well and that, that really translate from the page um, and uh, and are consistent throughout, which I think is one of the most important parts, uh, it's very easy to fall in love with those characters, whether their story is compelling or not. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, both of these volumes are incomplete stories. That was the one thing I was going to say. I, I couldn't believe it that there was only three issues yeah. of the regular series in this graphic yeah. novel, and that kind of cheesed me off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so really, these two volumes together tell 
the origin, not the origin, yeah. but the, this new starting point for the Guardians of the Galaxy. But Volume 2 abruptly ends and then has a, an issue after the, the most recent Infinity Thanos event right. for Marvel. So you build to this incredible climax in, in Volume 2, and then it just leaves you hanging, and you got to go pick up Infinity. Which of like course, which Marvel's, I didn't know. So now that's how like, Marvel does things. Part of me wants to go read Infinity, and part of me wants to tell Marvel where they can shove yeah. Infinity. Well, and right? then after but, that, they meet up with the new X Men, right? Or something like that. Yeah. So like now you got to yeah. go read those ones. And, yeah. yeah. Thankfully, I am reading all new X Men, yep. and I'm really excited that they're going to cross over. And that's that's why that's the other motivating factor for me to pick up Guardians of the Galaxies because I wanted to know where these characters were at yeah. before I get to the trial of Jean Grey and we can yeah. you know, uh, experience all of that as one thing uh, because then the all new X-Men have sort of, uh, I think they might be done now but for a little while they had teamed up with the Guardians, got new uniforms and all that sort of thing and, and were cruising around the galaxy with them. Yeah. Um, so before this ish, before the series or no no I like after that that crossover that they okay. did the yeah. books kind of permanently crossed over for a little bit but those trades haven't come out yet no they're not out yet okay no uh, Trial of Jean Grey is available as hardcover which is advertised at the back of volume two and soft cover is coming soon I think it's coming in like the next month or two hmm. um, but yeah it's it's really if you're not invested in the greater Marvel universe, I don't know if if this is the sort of book that that you want to get too too uh, heavily into. But for me, because I am, because I'm enjoying, I was enjoying Superior Spider-Man, which is now done, and I'm waiting for Edge of Spider-Verse um, for that to be collected. Uh, but reading all new X-Men and then reading this, I think gives you a pretty good overview of what's going on in the Marvel universe because as Marvel loves to do every few up. pages yeah there's a reference to something else that's happening somewhere even if it's on the other side of the galaxy they don't care yeah but well and honestly that's why I'm so hesitant to read any of these new Marvel trade paperbacks yeah. now yeah yeah they yeah they just go kind of crazy there now um one thing I wanted to mention was that the final issue of this trade paperback... So, the way that the trade is put together is that there's the point one issue, which is actually longer than a standard issue. Mm -hmm. And then there's issues one, two, three of the Guardians of the Galaxy series. And then there's a one-shot, which is, I think, a double-length one-shot, called um, Tomorrow's Avengers. Guardians of the Galaxy, Tomorrow's Avengers. Yeah. And um, it is uh, short stories that feature each one of the characters before they got back together as the team. Yeah. So it kind of like you, you get the story and then you go back for a little bit of a prequel. Um, and those ones are all written by Bendis and one of them's even illustrated by Michael Avon Oming who we all know from Powers. Yeah, from Powers. <laughs> and I will say, as critical as I was of, of uh, Powers of that first volume, his art has come a long way. Yeah, and, and it's well, actually pretty good. But, like, uh, it, it's still got some of his same issues, but but, but it, it's, he it's didn't, pretty nice. He didn't do the layouts. Oh, okay. So all of the, the short stories are laid out... Um, let me get to the beginning of the, the credits here. They're laid out by Yves Big, Bigarill, or how I don't know how you pronounce <laughs> it exactly. But So this person has uh, done all of the layouts, and so he, he 
put his style on top of that, gotcha. which I think accounts Help. for a little yeah. bit of the storytelling because all of these stories um, center around a big fight scene. Yeah. So Bendis um, allows the the artist to really tell the story, and um, as wordy as Bendis is, he knows also when to not be wordy, which is a, a really good thing to do. Yeah. So a lot of these ones. Um, it's basically you're looking at a yes yeah, like storyboards for a movie yeah that they storyboarded out yeah. as this big fight sequence for each of the characters the one that i like the best is the gamora one that's it's a really great uh just a really great battle yeah um that one was really nice um and i read this online as um like an interactive comic one of those ones that uh you just put hit the next button and it takes you through um, like it adds panels on top of the panels mm-hmm. or whatever that kind of stuff or those speech bubbles aren't there and then they pop up like through the Marvel app right and um, and that was a really neat way to experience this comic and flipping through uh, your copy your actual hard copy here yeah um, it it you don't get the same thing it's like watching an animatic when you go to the bonus features of a, of a movie and you get yeah. to actually see the storyboards they put together the animatic version of it and you see the storyboards coming to life um, that's what it was like reading uh, or uh, experiencing it through the digital version mm-hmm. and it, it worked I thought it worked a lot better because you get to see the focus of uh, and the movements and the flow of the of the story rather than especially in the Groot story there's like they cram nine or ten panels per page uh, on the last page of the Groot story um, it's just too much that it um, probably because of the page page con- number constraints or whatever yeah. they had to do that, but um, if they had a little bit more room to tell a story, that would have been better. Yeah. So, yeah. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's it was an enjoyable read. Yeah, I, they're they're fun. They're just lacking a little bit of substance, I think. And I think that's just because of yeah the fact that it has to tie in with the movie. Yeah. This is the gateway book for people who love the movie to get hooked into comics yes and it shows because you don't get the depth it has to be a little bit more surface yeah um and like you said all the references to everywhere else that they can explore from there on out yeah um if you do want a sneak peek at what avengers 3 is gonna be i i highly suggest reading these first two volumes because uh i have a, a sneaking suspicion that that's pretty much what it's gonna be which is Thanos coming to Earth and oh yeah, and everybody, well, for sure. the Avengers and the Guardians having to to band together to defeat him. I can't even imagine what the budget's going to be like to hire all of those actors for one movie. You know what though? Every single time they go to put together one of these movies, they they uh, like it's it's all a numbers game, right? And it's all math. So if you take because what they did is they they proved their theorem, which is that if you make Iron Man. And then you make Captain America, and then you make Thor, and each one of those movies are successful. We're going to leave The Incredible Hulk out of it for now. But uh, <laughs> if you put together those characters, they're individually successful, and you can count on that Marvel Studios name and those characters as as, as you know money in the bank. Yeah. You put them all together in one movie, and guess what happens? You make three times as much money yeah and i guess they haven't put a-list actors in any of these movies really they um they're now super famous because of these movies but who really knew chris evans before except for fans of 
Fantastic Four movie, um, <laughs> or um, Chris Helmsworth, he was unknown before yeah. this as well. Um, so, and then they signed their ten picture contract, yeah. so they're actually probably not paying exactly. them as superstars so, even for so, Avengers. So, and they've 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 done their math on it, right? Yeah. So, Guardians of the Galaxy now being their their I think it's their second most successful, and we'll see because it's still playing in theaters, yeah, even like amazing. a full month and a half later. That doesn't happen with movies yeah. these days, uh, particularly not movies that open in the middle of August. Yeah, so like that's a very odd place to put a, a summer blockbuster, right? Uh, Avengers had the benefit of opening, I think, in May. Yeah, and the then first, yeah, yeah, and then being all throughout the summer to make all the money that it made. I think Avengers is still their number one grossing, uh, but Guardians did just pass Iron Man two, um, well. uh, which which had a lot of money because of the success of Iron Man one. And right, then people saw Iron Man two and then they got all upset because they didn't like it. And then no one saw Iron Man three. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, but yeah, I, I it's it's on course to be I think their their biggest money maker, uh, particularly because I think the the cast that they had uh, I think yep. Josh Brolin was probably the person who got paid the most per minute, but uh, to play to play Thanos in that, but um, <laughs> but you're they're they're in a position that I think they're going to be able to put those two teams together. It might not be all of the Avengers with all of the Guardians, yeah. but it will be versions of the Avengers and the Guardians right. together. Um and and you know, uh, Cap might bite the dust at the beginning of that movie or he might bite the dust at the beginning of his movie after that. But well, if um if Avengers 3 is really the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, yeah. he could take out a bunch of them at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. with his stones and then and uh and i do think that that's what they're setting up because yeah. the, the, marvel's been talking a lot about how they're they're looking at at long term and chris evans is done being cap after six movies right yeah. which which means avengers uh he's got avengers 2 coming up and then another cap movie and then avengers 3 and he's and out that's it. so i i do think that avengers 3 will see the end of steve rogers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for now, for the time being, right? right. Until they decide. And, and I think that Avengers 2 might actually see the end of Tony Stark. Yeah. Because they're really setting him up to, to, I mean, it'll be annoying if they do it because that's kind of how the first movie ends, was with him sacrificing himself, but then, you know, he doesn't <laughs> end up sacrificing himself. Yeah. That movie would be so much better if it would have ended with him going through the portal and the portal closing behind him and then us not knowing what happened to Tony Stark. And then he he's just, in Guardians of the yeah, Galaxy. Yeah, and then he was in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy, and they'd be like, and Thanos has him, and then they rescue him. And uh, Anyways, that's a that's But they a, had, to, they had a situation. Iron Man 3 they had to they film. They did have an Iron Man 3 they had to film, so. Um, awesome. Oh, one, one more thing I want to point out is that yep. breaking news as of yesterday, um, the Marvel and the Kirby estate have settled their long-standing legal battles. Okay. Um, so now Marvel is giving royalties to the Kirby estate for all of the, Good. the characters. Yeah. Um, and so especially with the success of the movies, that means that's a lot of cash that's going to yeah. go their way, including Guardians of the Galaxy. Do you know which character in Guardians of the Galaxy was created by Jack Kirby? Of this team? Of this team right here. Hmm. Uh, I know it's not Rack, uh, Rocket because he's created by somebody else that I can't remember because his his credit rolls at the end of the movie oh like yeah he gets a special credit by himself um i don't know i'm gonna say it's either drax or groot 
What's your final answer? Okay, uh, I'll <laughs> go with Groot. You are correct. Yeah. Yep, he did create the Groot. Scene, back that in seems the like a, 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 a Kirby thing. Yeah, yeah. Kirby type character. Yeah. So yeah. So I feel, yeah. I'm proud of myself. I yeah, feel very like good. I, I've got the I got the solid <laughs> comics knowledge. Awesome. Good job. Okay, let's move on to our final pick, which yeah. is uh, Delilah Dirk in the Turkish Lieutenant by Tony Cliff. Um, this was the reader poll suggested by Doug Ferguson, and we didn't print off the uh, the thing that he said. Um, but he he really enjoyed the book, the adventure style of it, and yeah, um, and then thought that we should give it a try too. So we did. Yeah, and you know what? If you take our other two picks from this month and you put them together, I think that you might start to get close to something that's Delilah Dirk because it's <laughs> yeah. very comic booky, but it also has this cool kind of sort of historical element to it. Right. Um, being sort of that uh, I don't know what what year. This is, is um, I'm pretty sure you're looking at the 1800s, sometime, yeah. somewhere in the early 1800s. Um, I, let's see if there's a date. Yeah, 1807. Okay. Back when Istanbul was actually called Constantinople. Um, and, and yeah, this is uh, the tale of, it's not actually about Delilah Dirk. Yeah. It's actually about um, the Turkish lieutenant, which his name is Mr. Selim, or I don't know if that's exactly how you pronounce Selim, it. Selim, Selim, Selim. Yeah. Um, it he is a Turkish lieutenant who um who his team captures Delilah Dirk. Yeah. And while she is under his watch, she she breaks out and he kinda tries to recapture her but then gets swept up in her adventures because yeah. she's got this long history of of uh being an adventurer or a treasure hunter or something like that. Um and he gets sucked into it and realizes that he likes it yeah and then that's kind of so the story is actually his his arc of uh of how he kind of um goes from his old life to his new life mm-hmm. um yeah i i thought this was a great book yeah it was fantastic i think that one thing that's so incredible about it is that it's all written and drawn by one person like yep. this is directly out of out of tony cliff's mind and uh and it's just he's so talented like he's ridiculously talented i mean like i don't think that we get into any story that's something that would blow your mind but the characters are likable and uh and the adventure is fun yeah and i think that that in in this first volume that's all that it needed so uh he really kind of kicks off what what's going to be an ongoing series? Yeah, um, in in a great way, in in an incredible fashion. Um, we should say it's uh, it's first second publishing yep. again that that put this together as a graphic novel, which uh, they also did Battling Boy. Yep, and I think I uh, I think they they have a lot in common in that sense that they uh, they both build these really crazy awesome worlds that that are just so vibrant and fun to look at and then on top of that you've got these cool characters inside of them yeah. that you want to know more about i mean the the mystique of the character of delilah dirk i think is is one of the strongest points of of this book um you don't even by the end of it i don't know that i have a solid beat on her character yet no and i think that there's still a lot more to explore and that's great you could and the thing about it is you could be exploring her character um because they hint at such a rich past and they talk about all of the different places in the world that she's been and gained her experience and her knowledge um you could be writing these stories for it forever yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, well, this could be, uh, to kind of go back, we've, we've kind of had this cool through line over the last few episodes of this adventure pulp thing going on. Right, starting uh, with Xenozoic two episodes yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, and then into Terry and the Pirates, and now into Delilah Dirk. It's it's kind of, uh, uh, we, we've gone through three different eras yeah. of, of that storytelling uh, style, and... And and I think Delilah Dirk, a lot like Xenozoic, takes the tropes and and the uh, tried and true methods of the adventure genre and just plays them up to 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 the best ability. I mean, mm-hmm. it just uh, nothing really happens in the book, right? There's no other than other than uh, uh, Salim's his arc, his personal arc. Yeah. There's no real plot. Right, like there's a couple of plot points, there's a yeah. couple of uh, uh, supporting characters, but um, even those, I think we're planting seeds that that will hopefully be reaped mm-hmm. along the uh, somewhere further down the road. Oh, Not sure necessarily even in the next volume, but somewhere. Right, uh, yeah. the 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 pirate captain guy. The uh, I can't remember his name. Starts but, with a Z. Yeah, what was? His yeah, name? is that cool? I yeah. I, Hit, like that's a character that's coming back. Oh, they, for sure. they, like we've only we've only scratched the surface with him, and he gets these really cool standout shots every every <laughs> once in a while of like you can tell and, he's going to be important. Anytime, oh, pretty yeah. much anytime anybody says his name or they do something to it's really cool piss him off. Thing, yeah, it's yeah. like it's in the cool font, <laughs> and then there's like a great picture of him all angry. Yeah, um, reminds me of kind of. Um, like the Emperor from Star Wars or something. Yeah. 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 So we're kind of foreshadowing uh, uh, this this great uh, arch nemesis, I think, that that they're gonna have. And I what I would love to see is is that that guy doesn't necessarily consider Delilah Dirk to be his arch nemesis, but ends up considering Salim to be uh, his arch nemesis. Because that he's grown into his shoes. Yeah, yeah. But I but yeah, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was great. But. When when we were speaking a couple of weeks ago, I had only read the th- this is the, the story is broken into three three parts. Yeah, and I'd only read the first one in a bit. Yeah, and I I remember I was telling you I wasn't too sure about it. I like the art yeah. and stuff, but the story was kind of kind of meandered. It didn't really have a purpose yet. Yeah, but um, now that I've read the whole thing, I understand what he was going for because it's mm-hmm. broken into three distinct sections and each one is like a little vignette yeah uh, it has its own beginning middle and end um and and they're really just they're quaint and touching um mm-hmm. and like you say they don't they they all have kind of the plot points that they touch on to give it a little bit of an overarching story yeah. but uh um i really like that it, they just had a they gave you a chance to breathe in a lot of spots as well yeah. um between the action they were just it was well paced yeah and i i believe that this was a a web comic before it was collected into a graphic novel and you can kind of tell that in its writing because you can see that each page kind of has each page has a kind of a beginning middle and end yeah. to it um and then the next one almost in the first panel sort of <clears throat> hints at a recap of the last page and then yeah. carries through to give some sort of purpose to that one page so it has a it has that kind of flow, but it really works well together. Yeah. Um, but it's also why he the, it's in three kind of vignette stories. Yeah. Because when you do a page at a time, then yeah, yeah you got to. But it's it, it, it is point. it's very episodic in its nature, um, and yeah. I think uh, I think that that web comic 
it's funny we talked about Terry and the Pirates last month, and which is uh, yeah, which is kind of the like same sort of thing with the daily. Are, yeah, it's it's web comics are basically where where daily strips or weekly strips have gone, right? Um, uh, not that they don't still exist, but I think I don't know the the They're evolution the of the form. Adventure comic strips don't really exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but I think I think where where a lot of my complaints were with uh, Terry and the Pirates of the the very um, like sort of chopped up nature of it and that you could kind of like read one or two at a time and then take a break. Uh, Delilah Dirk is the opposite where it's done so skillfully. And, mm-hmm. and I think, I think, I think I, I, Tony Cliff has a, a, a larger vision for it. I think that he sort of planned this out uh, it, at least in the, in those, those initial arc sections, right? Yeah. Those, those, sections of the book um there he has a beginning middle and end like you say um and then each page has it which uh you know any 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 uh a student of joseph campbell that that you know is into the hero's journey you know likes george lucas and the way that he tells stories and that sort of thing yeah can can tell you that 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 is actually the key to telling a great story is that you have um every every moment is a hero's journey has a beginning middle and an end it has the call to adventure it has crossing the threshold it has the you know atonement with the father and all these great things that that you need to have a hero's journey um within like no matter how far you break it down it's like it's like molecular physics right like you can just (laughs) keep going deeper and deeper and really great storytelling uh, has the ability to you just keep breaking it down and you just keep finding like oh there's the there's the story circle there's the there's the 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 hero's journey breakdown inside of that um and and I think in that instance like w- with that in mind the the web comic format actually helped Delilah Dirk because it does each page reads and each story reads and each, and the whole book as 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 a collected edition reads yeah. and that makes it more enjoyable right yeah. uh, it's uh, i'm a graphic designer in my day job and and a lot of what i deal with is user experience and uh, and and one of the things that i try to express to people a lot of the time is that i uh, doing things like picking your colors uh, designing your logo and coming up with a brand as an overall brand is more than just I like the way that looks or that's nifty or this is how I feel about that. You're creating a, an experience for your user or in this instance for your reader. And the colors that you pick are going to impact readability. They're going to impact uh, the how how difficult something is for you to actually visually look at. Like there's a threshold to what the human eye appreciates right what they like that's why we have clashing colors that's why there are complementary colors yeah and uh and when you don't pay attention to those things you end up with a mess and you end up with people kind of tuning out um but in delilah dirk i mean even just those design theories that i'm talking about are all present because the the color palette is impeccable like without fault yeah from front to back um, and his composition is amazing. Oh, and, is it ever? And um, 
I mean, since reading the book, I've gone on and I've, he's got a couple of, uh, he's got a Tumblr and, and uh, I, I've, I've checked out some of, he's got a, a video of how he does his page layouts. And uh, it goes from, from his pencil sketches to the final uh, digital pencils that he's got, which are not, I shouldn't say digital pencils, but the, the touched up version of his pencils that he uses and then how he colors and how he blocks out. Uh, the page and everything. Oh, I'm gonna have to watch that. And it's um, he's uh, he he knows what he's doing. There's mm-hmm. thought and care and attention put into every single panel. Yeah, well, and that's book. my favorite panel is on page 146. It's this mm-hmm. one where Salim is uh, slipping on some rocks as he tries to cross mm. the river, and it's like, wow, you can just look at the framing and the composition of this yeah. this one panel. This guy is this guy's a draftsman. Like he yeah. knows exactly what he's doing here he's good and every panel like you said is like that you take any one of them and it's he it, it's executed so well it's uh it's I, I would say he's on the level that mark schultz is on that we were talking about with xenozoic as it got towards the end of the book where yeah. every panel of that was a piece of beautiful frameable artwork unto itself i uh, that it's the same in this book i mean you could take any of these these panels get rid of the word bubbles and print it in a large scale, put it in a frame, and hang it on your wall. I mean, yeah. he's just, he's done such an impeccable job. But that is the one place where I'll say I'm a little bit worried, right? Because with Mark Schultz, as we talked about, Xenozoic doesn't have an end. Yeah, right. <laughs> it just kind of drops off, and it takes him forever to put anything out. And eventually he says he'll get back to it, but he's been saying that for a long time. Right. So I, I hope. Well, they, there is a second volume coming out. There is, yeah. He, he's working on it now, and it's not going to be in webcomic format. Like, he's going straight to long-form yeah. graphic novel. So I, uh, we'll see how that impacts his storytelling. Um, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. Well, and you know, we could probably ask him ourselves. We can. <laughs> because he's going to be a special guest on our next episode. Yeah, yeah. We were so thrilled with this this book, and we found out that he's a local guy. He's yeah. here in town, so we thought we'd just shoot him off an email, and he uh, he's agreed to come on and and be a, a co-host for our show next month. Yes, that's really exciting. It's super exciting. Um, it's it's exciting to have a a, a professional uh, comic artist coming in, somebody with with a very esteemed published work. And I uh, and uh, a, a book that we enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the bonus to it is that we're going to get to talk to him a little bit more in depth about this, and then and see uh, where his future projects are going. Yeah. Um, ask him some of the questions we had about this one, and yeah. and not only that, but um, we he's he's going to read our, our picks for next month as well, yep. and then he's going to join us for the rest of the episode and discuss comics with us. Yes. So it's not like we're just talking about his work. Yeah. We're just going to talk about comics, and yeah. I think that's so thrilling. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been an awesome exchange so far because he's had some really great suggestions, uh, and uh, so, and is game for for our our suggestions as well. So so what what's really he suggesting exciting. next month? Uh, Tale of Sand, which I. It's, it's the long lost screenplay by Jim Henson, who, of okay. course, we all know from the Muppets, yeah, um, and you know, like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. So he wrote a screenplay with his other Muppets writer, Jerry Joel, and um, it was long lost until this comic book company, Arkea, um, is that? Oh yeah, Arkea Press. Yeah. yeah, they picked it up and have now turned it into a graphic novel. Awesome. So 
uh, th- that's his pick. Um, and RK is a great, great, great publisher. They put out a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, and they've already done. They have a deal with Muppets, so they've done yes. Fraggle Rock comics yeah. already, and, um, and I think they've done they've a done, Labyrinth comic yeah, they as did well. They did a Labyrinth one, and they've done some Muppet stuff as well. Yeah. So uh, and and here they are doing some other Jim Henson work. So I am super excited to read this. Good. I didn't. I didn't know. I just like saw some of the panels and stuff like that. Like clicked through some of the links, but I didn't know that this was a Jim Henson. Oh, there story. you go. So, so I'm like <laughs> super excited now. That's probably going to be the first thing that I read. Great. Uh, and what's your pick for next month? Uh, my pick, finally, after uh, six episodes, I, I'm finally picking Star Wars. Uh, it's been a it's been a long time uh, to to get to to Star Wars. And if me. you if you don't know Mike, he's He's Mr. Star Wars. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it, some of the, the folks who listen to this podcast listen to my other podcasts, Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, and the, the Rebels podcast, which is about Star Wars Rebels. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm big into the Star Wars community. That's, uh, that's kind of my number one passion when it comes to, to fandoms. So uh, the fact that I've managed to bite my lip and, <laughs> uh, and hold out this long to pick a, a Star Wars book uh, is is something I think I think I should I deserve some congratulations. Good job, but Mike. I, <laughs> but I I decided to go with uh, Dark Horse has sort of, they, their time with Star Wars has come to an end recently. Of course, they they just uh, finished publishing uh, their ongoing stories. Their their last issue came out I think in August. Um, uh, they had a few stories going on, but the the final issue that they were publishing was in August, and uh, and I think in in the new year in 2015, uh, Marvel, obviously part also part of Disney, along with now Lucasfilm, uh, since the acquisition, will be picking up that license and right. uh, and making comics for for Lucasfilm and for Star Wars uh, into the future, probably forever. So I so I thought a great thing to choose uh, with that in mind is to jump right back to the beginning of Dark Horse and their tenure with Star Wars and read Dark Empire. Um, I have it... I actually own two versions of this. Uh, it, you can either find it in uh, two volumes, two trade paperback volumes, Dark Empire 1 and Dark Empire 2, but the most recent publication of it is as the Dark Empire Trilogy, because within Dark Empire Two, there's actually a story called I think Empire's End, which, which is, is the third part of the which is the trilogy. third part of the okay. trilogy, which is so, why there's only two yes trade yeah, paperbacks. Yeah, it's it's all there. It's the whole trilogy is in those two trade paperbacks, or you can get it in this sort of reduced size format um, uh, hardcover version, uh, which I I bought it because I love Dark Empire because obviously I've read this story before. But I uh, I bought it just because I had to have it because it's a it's a great little prestige format. Um, but yeah. I have yet to read it in that hardcover format, so that's the one that I'm going to be reading. And Curtis, you'll be reading it in the trade paper. Okay, that's fine with um, me. But yeah, so that that's my pick. Uh, it's the first of what will end up being many Star Wars books nice. that we read. But good. But I thought and honestly, historical. I haven't really I haven't really read any Star Wars comics at all. Okay. So that's just uh, I. There was a time when I totally shied away from all licensed properties. I'm like, licensed properties are are stupid, and yeah. <laughs> I'm not really. I, I I don't think that way anymore. I love them, but uh, you know, Star Wars is a difficult one. It's a minefield, yeah. and every once in a while, you you uh, you you get a great story coming out of Dark Horse. It was definitely stronger when they started. Before 
for the prequels and the mass marketing yeah. uh, craziness of, of Lucasfilm. But um, but there are some great Star Wars comics out there, and and I think this is one of them. I think this is one of the better ones. Cool. So good. Cool. What's your What's your pick? Well, I am picking for the second month in a row a Canadian author, um, and this is by this is a book by Seth. And it's called It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken. And Seth has done a number of graphic novels. And this is kind of his his biggest work, his kind of most famous mm-hmm. or claimed fame. Um, he's a graphic designer as well. If you know the Peanuts hardcover books that have been coming out in the last several years, okay. um, collecting the entire run of Peanuts, he's, he's designed all the jackets and stuff. He's got a very distinct style. Um, these These were serialized. This story was serialized in his... Well, it was kind of whenever he felt like it, um, not really monthly series, um, <laughs> called Palookaville. And it's published by Drawn and Quarterly also, which um, Pyongyang was Drawn and Quarterly as well. They do a lot of Canadian publishers. So um, it's a story about him. And uh, there's two parts to it. It's kind of like he's he is a comics historian and he discovers this cartoon by... Um, a cartoonist he's never heard of before from the 50s and he goes on this journey to try and find out more about this cartoonist you know talking to relatives or trying to track down other cartoons and find out his history and then the other part of it is kind of him as he um, deals with he's kind of an odd guy because he doesn't like anything modern Hmm. he's very much uh, he wishes he were born in 19 the 1930s Okay. That's the way he dresses. That's the only kind of music he really listens to. And you can tell in his art style as well that mm-hmm. he's very influenced by that 1930s art deco kind of style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of wrestles with um, with living life in the modern world. <laughs> that kind of thing too. So it's an interesting read. It may not sound like it's going to be the most exciting thing, but hopefully it'll draw you in. It drew me in. Um, I, I felt like I could relate to to lots of, of him and his his outlook on life and so uh, cool. we'll see if you feel that way too cool sounds good awesome well i guess that does it for us uh on this episode right yeah cool well you can keep up with us uh on our website at www.pullboxpodcast.com curtis has actually been doing some reviews over there yeah so yeah. i hopefully uh, we'll be able to do some more of those as yeah. the stuff that we may not need to cover here uh, <clears throat> in more detail mm-hmm. um, in our own conversation so i'll do do some more uh online stuff just to add some spice to our website awesome uh and you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash pullbox podcast on twitter at twitter.com slash pullbox podcast and as always we want your guys's Suggestions. We need those reader polls, so you can send those in or your comments on any of the books that we've read. Uh, not just what we're reading, you know, uh, in this upcoming month, but but really anything that we've read. Uh, if you've uh, if you've picked it up uh, and you wanna you wanna give us a, a shout and uh, let us know what you thought about it, uh, you can send that to uh, the Pullbox Podcast at gmail dot com. Great. Yeah. Well. And that's it for today. So we hope that you have a good month and we'll see you back here next month with special guest Tony Cliff. See you next month.